Welcome to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast with Brett, Ed, Fran, Johnny, Matt and Paul, helping you to build more muscle and to lose weight with a hint of banter and a dash of humour. Enjoy this week's episode. You're usually expecting Brett to be introducing this podcast, but today it's the top man introducing the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast, episode number 3,500, I mean 171. I must say, Jonathan, it's <clears throat> it pretty good. Sounded a bit creepy. In fact, I expected some sort of like horror movie intro, like some 50s horror movie, or like The Twilight Zone. I do like horror films, actually, funny enough. Me too. But horror films are a bit predictable nowadays, aren't they, really? Yeah, I w- yeah, I agree. I think... I mean, yeah. I, I think it, there isn't really any new, like, storylines as such, or, or, like, horror themes. Like, everything's the same things, like vampires, werewolves, zombies. Yeah. Or like scary doll in a house, or you know the haunting of that type of things. There's not, there's not really anything kind of new, is there? No, we've got is it the Amityville horror, and it is like there must be ten films that are pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Basically, the Fast and the Furious of horror films. I do like the Fast and Furious. Or... Well, they, it was good up to. I think didn't, didn't we talk about this on the podcast before? I think we might have done. It's good up to episode three or the the third film. I liked them all because I think how old was I? Fourteen when the first one came out. And it's still going on, you know, now, 20 years later. 14? Fuck you. You are not that young, son. Yeah, 14. No, I don't believe you. I, I was I, well, I was definitely driving when the first one came out, because I remember going to the cinema to watch it, and then driving home like an absolute maniac, thinking I was cool. How old you now? 39. 30, fuck you, 37. Well, you're three years older than me, so that would be right, then, wouldn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yes. Uh, you're right. You Maybe you just look older than me. Sorry, mate. Mm, no, I can't I, deny I, I I genuinely don't believe that I'm 37 sometimes. In that I look at like neighbours or not as in like the Australian neighbours of the program. Um, I look at like my neighbours that I am sure are like the similar age to me, and I think you look like my dad, mate. Yeah, I know what you mean. And yeah. I and I've got no hair, so it's not like that's a kind of re- not redeeming, but you know, it's, it's not like a feature that lends itself very well to looking young. No, it doesn't really. I I don't think no. But I think being in shape does at least, you know, without without being overly kind of arrogant sounding, um, you know, I'm probably in reasonably decent shape compared to most thirty seven year olds. Is that is that a stretch to say? No, I think you, you, if you think obviously this is, um, it's not your average, is it? But you know, a lot of blokes of that age who've got kids, you know, they don't necessarily do anything. They go to work. They might train a bit. They look forward to the weekend. They might drink a few pints, you know, in the week, and they're a bit like, you know, they don't really concern themselves how they look, do they? Yeah, you know? yeah, and not not saying that everyone should. Um, because, yeah, I think this actually comes down to happiness, which we've discussed many times. But I think it comes down to happiness. If you're happy and healthy, then that's more ideal in my eyes than kind of striving for something to do with looks, but not really being happy. And obviously, we know loads of people that are like in the best shape you could imagine really or certainly like in, in amazing shape but they're still so insecure or worried about how they look or just never really happy um which you know arguably is, is more unhealthy in air quotes than someone that is doesn't really pay much attention to their their physique or how they look or anything like that i think i think it's to do with age as well because mm. when you're younger you tend to care what people think more and when you grow older you think oh well i don't care what you think True. whatever yeah, I, I I I do like, and I I am I do like to kind of push the narrative away from things like, um, kind of physical attributes, how you look, 
kind of and i do i appreciate lots of things like body confidence movements haze approach and stuff a lot more nowadays in that i i care less about how i look than i used to certainly i used to have loads of insecurities and loads of problems and i i kind of still do little bits so i think there's always going to be a bit of a hangover but i do think that there's I, i far i care far less nowadays about those insecurities than i might have done once upon a time and I, I don't know whether that just comes from experience just through kind of the journey a bit of acceptance maybe i don't Probably. know on the combination mm. do you do you do you care what you look like now any more or less than what you might have done say 10 <clears throat> 15 years ago or probably same same yeah i do want to look good but i think you know maybe you compare it to what you look better than you used to, but you're always looking to go f- to move forward and you want to be bigger and be more shredded, whatever. So you're always, you know, I don't, I, I do think I, oh, yeah, I'd like to be in better shape, but I know I can get there, so I'm not too concerned yeah. where I am. Really. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I think that's probably a, like a, a good message to take home in that you kind of realize that's part of the journey that you're on and that you don't need to be worried right now because it's not like this is your final form or what your final shape is going to be like or your final physique um and i think actually if you accept that you'll never have that probably like no matter how good a shape you're in um you'll probably never have a oh yeah i've I've reached it now done just give up or whatever because that just doesn't happen it's almost like that um that meme you often see or kind of phrase or saying like once you start lifting is the time you're forever small yeah and it's so so true isn't it like you can be huge but you'll never be big enough to what you want to be because it's kind of like i don't know i suppose like all bodybuilders almost a little bit got this kind of like body dysmorphia type behaviors where you never you kind of don't look at yourself in the same way as maybe others do and that you you don't feel like you're in as good a shape maybe as other people might or you're not as big as other people might think you are and, and that type of stuff yeah, I think you you have to learn to compete with yourself, you know, not with other people. Unless obviously you are a competitive athlete, then yeah. that, you just your standard, you know, I say standard gym goal. Then if you should focus on your self improving your lifts, improving what you look like, because it's always going to be something bigger. I mean, you know, Tony Nias is the biggest guy in the nineties, isn't he? But there's bigger again now. You know what I mean? Sweden, well, they're bigger than me, and this guy was two hundred and fifty pounds on stage. You know what I mean? So it's always going to be bigger. Yeah, and I think you're right. You've kind of, I, th- I think you've unknowingly backtracked a little bit because you said unless you're a competitive athlete, but then you've kind of said that people still have to compete against themselves. Because I think, because I was about to correct you, and we say actually, I don't. I think even as a competitive athlete, and when we say competitive athlete, we obviously mean bodybuilder. I think even as a body foot builder, like you said, there's always going to be someone bigger than you on stage, or there could always be. I think you still have to focus on just beating yourself anyway. I don't. I, obviously, you are being judged against other people, which I guess is what you're saying anyway. Because when you're on stage, you know you're you're not being judged for your best you. You're being judged against other people based on criteria. But I think the process to get in there, you have to only worry about being better in yourself and not what other people are doing. Cause yeah, one, yeah, yeah, one, and process definitely. Yeah, because uh, some people, one people might not even turn up. You might be the only person on bloody stage when you get there. Um, obviously, it probably doesn't happen that often, but it has happened where you know people have signed up for shows and they've not managed to get into condition to go and not gone so people have just dropped out and therefore like you win by default but it's not really default because obviously you managed to stay the course and get yourself into because body, body was not really about necessarily kind of what happens on the day yes there are some kind of things you can do in terms of your posing did you peak well all the different things that will come into play in terms of giving you an extra few percent on the day which could be the difference of winning or losing but for the most part what you do for all of your kind of 
season all of your like leading up to a prep all through your prep and obviously on the days all that all counts it's not just yeah. kind of what you just did on that day in terms of whether you then win or lose so you kind of you have to almost just bet yourself and compete against yourself to bring your best package to stage and not really worry about other people well 100 percent 100 percent yeah you look at look think of years before we do now only back in the 90s he was in the uk and uk bodybuilders of that, of that stature weren't weren't a big thing in, were they? <clears throat> it's all American, so he was on his own, were he? Competing against himself. Only seen, seen others in magazines. There was no internet. Well, I, there was early internet, in it, but there was no YouTube looking. He's, oh, he's doing this, he's doing that. So he was competing against himself when the rest were probably training together. Yeah. So maybe that's why, maybe that's part of the reason why he was better than everybody else. And he was an absolute tank. He was an absolute tank. I thought, I'd imagine genetics had a, uh, a good role to do it, but you know, we've, yeah. talked, we've talked about that enough times as well. Yeah. Oh, anyway, Johnny, this is your podcast. I've hijacked it slightly then, just by asking you a question. But so a podcast, Brett. Sorry, yeah, but you know, you're you're hosting today. Like you said, you've got the the top man on board. I think you're. I think you're still the best horse, Brett. <laughs> oh, you chucks! Don't do it to me. I'll melt. <laughs> I'll melt with embarrassment. I don't think so. Are you so bashful? Hey, what are you saying? Are you suggesting that I'm arrogant in any way? That's that's no. The... I would say. You uh, you know you're a good host. Oh, well, I'm, I'm grateful, Johnny. Thank you very much. Anyway, so back to you hosting. What's going on today? What's going on today? I was hoping you could tell me what's going on today. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't I don't know. Is there anything unique or anything interesting to update listeners on that they might be uh, keen to understand or, or or just hear you talk about or not a lot going on? As in, as in a topic, or no, no, just you generally in terms of if there's any useful nuggets in your experience this week, whether anything interesting, fun, or if not, um, we'll move on. My experience this week is <clears throat> when doing a front kick and kickboxing, try not to bend your toe into the bag. Oof. Mm. Mm. Don't do that because it'll hurt. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing is, don't do kickboxing then legs sorry legs and kickboxing on the same day no no I, I wouldn't say that's particularly ideal I actually uh, two weeks ago played vets football and did legs in the morning and played only half a game of football in the afternoon but I must admit very 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 kind of or, or a lot of regrets very much pain uh, through the rest of the week really so was it Sunday probably up until f- like I did legs again on Thursday as usual pretty pretty poorly recovered by even by the thursday certainly around like the hip flexors adductors adductors groin all of the kind of like the ligaments and kind of hips especially like oh this is um why i gave up football i think and to start start to kind of dedicate more time to the the gym work and resistance training because i just couldn't do both and yeah big reminder um albeit obviously a lot of that did have to do with the fact of training legs in the morning albeit i also reduced volume because i was at least mildly um or mildly conscious of the fact that training legs and then trying to play football in the afternoon was not the best idea so i did drop a set off most of my exercises and and stayed reasonably away from failure and it's worse when you when you when you're doing something maybe you're not used to like if you were used to doing yeah. both together then you could get away with it can you but yeah. if one or the other you haven't done for months or even years then you're going to be in trouble, aren't you? Yeah, uh, no repeated bout effect. And I, I must admit, I thought I'd probably only going to be playing like a small part, maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes max. Um, I didn't realise they were going to ask me to play a whole half because I was only filling in for lack of numbers. 
I think maybe this could be a, a lesson for people who are just thinking about starting training. If don't think you're going to go in and train five days a week, first off, because you won't do one or two sessions a week and build it up from there. Because you also then <clears throat> don't give yourself unrealistic expectations. Because a lot of people go, I don't train now, I won't train six days a week. I'm like, no, nah, you probably won't. Because you can't sustain it generally. Yeah. You might for the first week. Yeah, you might for the first week. Yeah, but you feel like, um, I don't know what you're going to feel like at the end of that. You're going to feel like shit probably because you're going to be wrecked. But if you can still go, I'll just go twice this week and you can maintain twice a week for a couple of months then. That's where, can, that's where you get into the habit of training. That's when it becomes a habit and eventually then you'll do it all the time. So yeah. rather than go, like, I'll, I'll do six days a week and know when you're not going to stick to it, go two. And yeah. you think, oh, this is, quite, this is quite easy. Is then go three, not start at six and go backwards. Because if you go backwards, then I think more likely I don't, I don't think it's in, in the data but this is my opinion if you're going to start at 6 and you're going to go backwards you're probably more likely not to stick to it yeah. it's going the other way probably better you almost unknowingly gave the greatest segue into it, today's topic of um, kind of on off slash all or nothing types of mindsets because uh, uh, on plan or off plan yeah because basically on that point around training say and that is stellar advice for anyone that is kind of either going back to training after a while off or want to start kind of eight well not just training but any type of exercise or or even from a nutrition perspective because this will all kind of intertwine in some way don't set unreal expectations from the start because most people do have an all or nothing mindset and i'm probably we're, we're giving away all the content up front so people might stop listening now but anyway um because generally people will you know, set themselves a, an unrealistic goal. Let's say training six days a week, and they might do it the first week when they're full of motivation. Yay! Woohoo! Look at me, I've done loads. And then when when it becomes a bit harder because either they don't want to or motivation starts to wane a bit, and they miss a day. Oh fuck it! I've missed a day. I won't bother. I'll start again on Monday. So they don't go the rest of the week. And then obviously Monday gets even harder. And then they miss a day. And then you know they all they just give up and basically stop going for an entire month. And that's polar opposites of what success usually looks like for people when they go right well this week i'm going to go twice and they do that first week find it relatively comfortable and easy do a second one that week find it relatively comfortable and easy and think oh yeah brilliant i've achieved my goal you know got this motivation of of, my, of a you know a successful tick for in the box for doing that and then next week they kind of do it and they repeat that until that's just become habit and comfortable and then they add a day and then it's three days a week and they just repeat the same process and next thing they know they are they've morphed into that kind of individual that trains you know three or four times a week or whatever, five times a week, however much they've got, they decide they want to get up to. And that becomes embedded in their lifestyle and their identity. And they're no longer this kind of uh, forced or kind of on-off type of mindset that they might have had before. Yeah, I think as well, when you are starting out, if you know some people on your negative, don't talk to them about it. Are you going to go? Because they're the type of people who say, you're not going to stick away, you're not going to do this, you're not going to do that. So I'd say, as well as, if you're going to start in a gym, probably, <clears throat> I would now keep it to myself for a bit until you're um, more ingrained to doing it. Because you know a lot of people are like, it's usually people who can't be asked themselves, they're too lazy. Like, oh yeah, but why are you going so much? Why are you going to do Why are you eating that? Why can't you do it? Why can't you go out for a pint? Just like, oh my God. So you got to try and stay when you when you first start to help yourself. Because obviously, if you made the decision to go to the gym, you obviously want to make a difference. Try and stay away from the people who are gonna 
you know. Um, it's been negative influence. Yeah, you don't want them. You don't want them because it's that. Well, why are you eating that? Why do? Why are you doing that for? Like, why don't you just shut up and leave me alone? You do what you want to do, and I'll do what I want to do. I think it's. I think it's more. Um, it matters more when you're young as well because you got you got your <clears throat> more. You're easily led when you're young, you compared to when you're a adult. Oh yeah, go on, come out. When maybe that's not what you want. You're just doing it to stay in the the, the circle of friends here, maybe. Yeah, yeah, um, and I think like obviously the, today we want to talk around this kind of concept of on-off, or I suppose it spurred on the idea that um, so kind of one of the clients that I'm working with at the moment had. Um, kind of almost like a, a confession i guess is the best word within one of their, their check-ins where they said oh this week i've i've succumbed to temptation and i've and i've had some some kind of foods i shouldn't be having um re- relatively new client but it's it's interesting that mindset because obviously from the off i kind of really try and coach that um out of people from the off in terms of aligning either like moralistic viewpoint or moralistic views on on foods or habits and behaviors because there isn't really a good or bad in any of those certainly not in food so something we obviously talk about from the start we certainly don't want kind of like i don't even really like using the terms like healthy and unhealthy um because i think even that is too ambiguous like there's so much nuance um in those terms that like it's all there is almost no unhealthy foods i know that's often said in in the evidence-based sphere of oh there are no unhealthy foods and which is you know kind of true albeit i do get a bit um, what's the word i get a bit i can't think of the right word really but i get a bit mardy i suppose around when people like criticize others for using those types of terms um in in kind of different ways um and what i mean by that let me quantify because I, I appreciate that it probably sounds a bit like contradictory but um like i try and encourage clients not to use the terms but i myself aren't really but i'm not really bothered by people that do in the industry because they're kind of meeting people like where they're at almost in like if a client uses the term clean or healthy or unhealthy i don't think it's necessarily that bad because we know what we're talking about when someone says that like when someone says i'm eating clean foods like oh you shouldn't say clean i can't believe it what are you gonna wash your food even like more are you <laughs> it's like no like if if a client uses the term clean like yes okay you can un- you can explain to them the rationale as to kind of why we don't want to be kind of applying this this moralistic view to it in terms of the reasons i've just said but don't it doesn't mean as long as they understand that they can't use that term as long as they genuinely do understand you know the, the fact that the moralistic reasons as to why you shouldn't use them um but it just get noisy when it's like people say, "Oh, you shouldn't be, you know, let's ban those terms." Because kind of bit like, well, no, they they know what we talk about when we say it. Rather than me having to unexplain, you know, what clean is or what isn't every time, like we just use it because we we know the the real context of it is being used for. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah, yeah, because you've got to meet people where they're at. And if they if they use the word clean, then you use it, and then obviously explain later on why it may or may not be the best word to use. Yeah. So hey. ban these words is ridiculous. People say, "Oh, it's dickheads." Yeah, and I think I mean even I don't like the word cheat either for the same reasons. But if someone uses the term cheat, but they're they're saying it knowing that obviously you know it's not a, a kind of moralistic term in the way they're using it, then phew, I don't really have that much of a problem with it. Well, no, as long as they under, as long as they understand what it means and then crack on if that's what we want to use. Yeah, but that being said, and again, kind of contradicting myself slightly, but. Um, 
just coming back to this idea of someone, uh, I suppose, like giving into temptation. It's um, it's, ama- it's it's funny how people's mindsets are like that. In that they kind of they do they have this this on off type of mindset of like oh it's it's giving into temptation if I have some chocolate or a jaffa cake or something that they don't feel is a in air quotes like a healthy um, food to have or food that they should have on a diet. Um, and it, like it takes a lot of coaching to do that. It's not like you can tell someone in one check in that we don't oh we don't call foods good or bad. There are no good or bad foods. And it's not like you say well all foods are included in in a diet like that ha- you have to almost consistently drill that message in week after week after week to a lot of people because i guess they've they've grown up through cultures and diet culture and all things like thinking that they're the types of foods that oh you can't eat and lose weight and it just takes a lot of time to turn people's mindsets around yeah because people still even now people think that to lose weight you can't eat any you know quote unquote junk food yeah they just believe, oh, I can't eat bread, I can't eat carbs, I can't eat junk food. I've got to be, I've got to eat chicken and salad all day to lose weight. And it's like, no, that's not the case. I mean, but the, but the general consensus, I bet, in the population, that is that is what they think you need to do. And it's not. But you know, if someone's been, <clears throat> if someone's really overweight and they've been eating shit for twenty years, then then they probably should. It's not a bad thing for them to think that. You know what I mean? It might. It's not a bad thing to think, oh, yeah, I need to start eating chicken, salad, veg, whatever, because you should probably encourage that and then later on down the line, say, like, when they've installed the good habits of choosing decent quality food, then you can say, well, actually, you can include things like this and still lose weight. Because going in, because a lot of I think a lot of coaches now have gone the, too far with yeah anyone can do never fits macros anyone can include junk food and they can't they can't because they haven't got the mentality to put it in there. You've got these all or nothing people have new which these people probably are. I can either have a piece of chocolate which some people can do, or actually I could have the whole pack which a lot of people do. And if they've been eating like that for twenty years, then we should be encouraging them to eat. We wouldn't say clean, but if they think, "Oh, I've got to be clean food," yeah, 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 you should. And then, in then you explain why clean maybe is not the best thing to say. And then later on down the line, then you can say, "Yeah, actually, well, you can include whatever your favorite food is when they've installed those habits." Yeah, because I think the coaches now are saying, "Yeah, if it's a macro, I'm like, well, no, 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 no. They've done that too often for too long. It don't well, it doesn't always work." there's a lot of nuance in that again in that well there isn't all nutrition in that topic in that like you know take the example of someone who's obese or really overweight or being shit their entire life um they they obviously clearly do need to start eating some more nutritious nutrient dense lower calorie options that are going to help manage hunger better but in the same breath taking someone that has lived on junk food and you know barely seen a vegetable and then saying right you know you need to eat vegetables is almost the same premise of us saying going from zero to training six days a week so you clearly you're not gonna you're not gonna suggest that for someone um in the same way we do also know and again this is where the nuance comes in that you know minimizing food variety and hyper palatability uh, and eating a kind of more regular consistent diet does also lead to less cravings and less ad libitum eating of calories as in they people eat less just um not sporadically what's the word uh oh, 
what's the word I'm looking for, Johnny? Just what's ad libitum, you know, just spontaneous, spontaneously. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, they spontaneously just eat less calories when they start to eat more whole foods, more whole grains, more nutrient dense foods, foods with with high fi- uh, protein and and high fiber, high phytonutrients. All of those foods start to contribute to society, satiety, not society, satiety, and sporadically. Um, I've done it again. Spontaneously, uh, people just eat less, you know, without being told to eat less. So there is again some merit in getting getting people to eat more of those foods and to eat in air quotes cleaner. It just takes, I think, a lot of coaching a lot of the time, and very few people will probably go from zero to to a hundred by going from you know living on McDonald's packed pre-packed foods, coke, full sugar coke, to then suddenly going for chicken broccoli rice and you know yeah. spirulina shots every morning. I think it's that's the importance of uh, learning the client as well, isn't it? Because yeah. some people can do it. Obviously, some people can't. Yeah, actually, where... on, on that, sorry, mate. The, the, just because it's just a, a point. I remember Matt Morgan brought up once and said that he's his personality, and there'll be obviously other people like him that he likes a very extreme change because it just feels like it's quite motivational that he's doing something rather than small changes for some people. Um, they're not particularly motivational. It's like, oh, is this all it is? I'm not really, no, nothing's not really doing a lot different. What, 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 what shouldn't I be doing more? And that's like, that's not particularly motivational for a lot of people and their personalities. I do think like the, the small changes are better over the longer term because I do find that it becomes more habit breeding and, and have better results in lifestyle change than trying to shock and do something really kind of extreme from the start. But like you were just saying, it, I think it does mean that individual approach and kind of what suits an individual is going to be better and you need to account for that certainly as a coach or you as an individual if you you know you kind of try and just help yourself you need to be aware that you know not everything works for everybody no because you, you you can phase you can you can phase these like extreme um diets or training or whatever to get that buy-in so they can lose you know a substantial amount of weight that's what they want that's what they want quickly and then you can you can dial it back and then in and then start introducing the habits over the medium term so they get a bit of both, and they get what they need, and they get what they want. Yeah, I've, I've done exactly almost that with my client Tom at the moment. In we're looking at kind of a specific goal of muscle building, and he's never really like he's he's been very open about himself saying he doesn't like it when he puts on too much body fat. He likes being kind of lean. Um, so we've kind of had to take this kind of extreme approach in in kind of priming himself into a bulking phase, and which is basically an aggressive diet to kind of. I suppose build some room for a, a slower mass and obviously slower part of the reason again is to kind of limit any any body fat gain and, and kind of align with that psychology of it and he's been open and aware of that but it's, it's almost like you just said you kind of give them a bit of what they want to to kind of give them a bit of what they need at the end and I'm sure you won't mind me talking about this on here um, but you could say that's exactly that like an extreme phase to start with and like kind of it will be phased out over time and into a, a kind of more moderate and slower approach to for a different goal i.e. gaining yeah, I think I think I would think that's the more difficult way to go about it. As in, it's probably harder to coach someone who's afraid of putting body fat on than it is the other way around. Uh, absolutely, absolutely agree. Um, and I think I think even even like the not coaching and if you're helping yourself, I think if you're that type of individual that I've always been afraid um, to. Put on body fat, maybe because you become a, a you've come from a place of over fatness, or whether you just you know you've you've forever wanted, to, or you've just never really liked kind of being um, fluffier for want of a better phrase. 
yeah, I do think it's hard, like even from that perspective, even coach or helping yourself to, to kind of, do it. it's a lot harder than someone that's just happy to eat and train and get big. And, you know, we, cause we know how easy it is to diet and lose body fat compared to the rate of gain of muscle. Oh yeah. hundred percent. I think it's almost going to try and get him to think and have different goals as well. Not just, I want to be X weight or I want to look this way or actually I want to put, I want to be able to do this much volume with this many sets. I want to be able to do this much weight on the bar. So you try and shift the focus a bit away from the weight and what they I believe is hard and you would look yourself day to day. But, you know. Yeah. But where you can't do that, then, like, maybe the approach I've taken with Tom is a good idea in that, you know, okay, right. We almost have to get overly lean to allow yourself to kind of get eat in a calorie surplus and put your body in a primer or a better position to gain muscle. Um, so that at the end of the phase, you're less lean than you would have been if you'd have started at a higher body fat percentage, if that makes sense, and yeah. give yourself more time. Because otherwise, I think what would happen with someone like Tom and, and other people with, with similar personalities um, or psychologies on it is you just get, after certain you, you start to put on a bit of body fat, you start to then, I guess, just like bail out very early and just quit and do a U-turn because you're, you know, you, you get panicky and, and worried about it. And I mean, that could still happen with people, even if you get really, really like ultra lean. And in fact, they might even have a counterintuitive approach with some people and you get too lean and you get so attached to how lean you are and that you've, what you feel is a, you know, like your best or, or better physique that you almost never want to let go of that. And I, I've, I've experienced that before. Sometimes you're dieting, get to a point where you feel really lean and you almost feel like you're undoing all of your good work when you then start to, to bulk again. I think it's about context as well because you got you got right because people think fat is vital. People's version of fat is widely different depending on what circles you run in. It's like <clears throat> if you're talking about general population, then fat could mean like 30 percent body fat. Can it? If you for yeah for a mill. If you're a competitive natural bodybuilder, whatever power. Not powerlifters, but you know, bodybuilders or even physique. You're in some sort of physique um, sport. Then, fifteen percent is probably fat, but it's not for general. Obviously, it's clearly not fat. Mm. So, but it's like people go, and I think the people who worry about it more as well. I think from personal experience, is if you're on the smaller side and you don't carry a lot of muscle compared to other no obviously we always compare ourselves to others but a bigger guy say a guy who's like 18 19 stone who's 20 percent body fat is going to look it's still going to look good at 20 percent body fat because he carries so much mass but when you may be i don't know 11 stone or something and you're trying to get a 12 and a half then you don't carry a lot of mass do you? so when you put that body fat on it looks a lot different yeah yeah no but, true you know what i mean so it it, it you're almost going to think, right, if I want to be bigger, obviously you can't go from 11 to 20 stone. It's just probably not possible, is it? Unless you're a freak. Not um, not, not in one go, or you take, not, a, lot, take or, a lot of fucking drugs. Yeah, and a lot of years. Um, but yeah, it's almost like you've got to, you've got to accept, and it's not always hard, you've got to accept, but it is hard. But if you can gain, and this is probably top-end genetics as well, if you can gain a couple of stone over your, over your lifetime then you will look better at higher body fat and then you almost want to get you almost want to gain as much muscle as you can early on because that's where you gain most muscle anyway generally then get out of the way early on then you can be bigger at a higher body fat and still look better 
because look at these pro bodybuilders who won their, even that twenty percent body fat. They're so big, they still look good. Yeah. So it depends. Yeah. yeah. Like if like we've had a lot of physique type clients who've done photo shoots and stuff. Like what they should be doing is they should never be getting over fifteen percent really off season then if, they, if that's what they do consistently. So then it's like <clears throat> you never really get fat, do you? Do you know what I mean? So you stay within a certain range of fatness. Yeah. yeah. Not fat. If well, it's not fat and it's spread out, then that was not fat. But it's fat for a you know, for a bodybuilder. I th- I think I think I agree. And I've certainly thought that a lot of the times. I think, oh, it's on, there's certainly been bulking phases where I've got too over fat too quickly. And I think I'm going to say that my opinion is, and it is opinion, I don't think there's any literature on it because there's obviously very little literature on this topic anyway. But um, I think it's the s- time, so how quickly a lot of people also mass, that results in the kind of over fatness. And obviously then, because you can only synthesize so much muscle in one period and it's, it is yeah. fucking slow-ass game. Um yeah. I think, sorry to interrupt this episode, but we just wanted to let you know that we're currently accepting applications to work with any of our coaches to help you lose weight and get shredded or build muscle and get jacked. If you want to know more, just head over to nnncoaching.com forward slash apply. No contract lengths, just evidence-based coaching to make sure you get the results you've always been after. There are going to be points, I think, for some people, not everyone, but I think probably more than most. I don't think it's an extreme statement to make. I think I might regret that and then later down the line, but I don't think so. But I think more than most probably will have to get to a point where they get fatter than they would like and might still even get into this realm of what you're saying, over fat. But I think that's probably a case of reaching that point after a long time of bulking rather than... Mm. And I think the problem a lot of people do is they, they get over fat too quickly. So they don't really get allow enough time in that period of a surplus or you know that kind of massing phase to synthesize and generate enough mus- muscle in that period so they basically just you know they're almost like the partition in a ratio of, of muscle to fat is just skewed and you end up just putting too much fat too quick um i've done that like pff, most bulking periods um which is what i so i think it's got to be more like the rate of gain is needs to be more controlled than the actual kind of total amount gained in the end so yeah. you can, so you can do it for longer if that makes sense yeah. And then that, that that being said, it doesn't mean you can't kind of control the total amount gained and kind of go through multi, like frequent periods of of kind of cutting, I guess, or, or kind of like slow maintaining or, or lots more maintaining to make sure that you're then not getting overly fat and that you still re- remain relatively lean. And for some people, if that just, I guess, don't like getting overly fat, like someone like Tom, um, you might you might never reach your full potential of kind of growth and muscle because your sacri because that's really Norfolk that's my accent coming from there because um, you might have to sacrifice some gains basically to remain like, kind of more comfortable um, year round rather than and I used to work like the term more com- comfortable is quite a wide ranging term I suppose because there'll be there'll be like a, a scale or continuum of like your comfort levels in terms of how good you feel compared to oh I'm at the edge of my comfort but basically you'll be less optimal but more comfortable or some people might be more optimal, but less comfortable. Mm. I was thinking about this the other day, actually about <clears throat> being a bit over fat. And then, but I think because people have got, maybe got a skewed, like if you're not competing or you're not doing a photo shoot, why do you need to be single digits? You don't, because you're going to look good at 10 to 12%. Generally speaking, you'll have abs at 10, you know, decent abs at 10. 
I think because I think like I've written this about myself, like actually, I I I, I want to look good for my wedding actually, obviously. But then again, I don't need to be single digits. I need to be a bit bigger than I am now, a ten or twelve percent, and I'll still look tidy. I think I think if people get it, or if I get a twenty percent, I'm too fat. Yeah, you you would be in a certain in obviously if you're competitive, but if you have to take eighty percent body fat off and you've got 20, 20, 24 weeks, there should be enough time for most people. Because I think people get into the trap of I got to be shredded to the bone. It's like, well, you don't, because what for? There's, there's no reason, is there? There's no reason generally, unless obviously you're competitive or photo shoots off, or your job requires you to be that way. I fell into this trap thing. Well, actually, you don't need to be nine percent. So it's like you need to be ten to twelve of the decent amount of mass. You, you still look better than ninety-nine percent of the population. I think that skews people of how far they willing to go because I think oh, what you said earlier about <clears throat> obviously getting too too fat too quick, which is right. I think also people don't give her enough time. Oh, I'll get big in twelve weeks, and no, then you won't try like twelve months at least. So people are like that as well. But when they train, it's like it's like the topic either either on or off plan. I think <clears throat> when it comes to bulking, I think people just think they can eat what they want. It's like, well, no, eat the quality food, just just more calories. It's not like you need a thousand calorie surplus to gain muscle. It's very very marginal for 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 everyone by say everyone for natural athletes just different game when you obviously need to do other things but then people yeah I need to eat on a calorie surplus no you don't you don't and obviously they get too fat but it's like you just eat everything and it's like oh god you are really I don't want to say off plan but you are really over the top yeah yeah they, it's almost it's almost too on plan yeah and but I think just to, go on no, just because on that, it, it does align with the kind of the concept of this uh, this topic in that, like, when I say too on plan, it's like, it's the extreme. So it's kind of like the on-off is the extreme ends, isn't it? It's like you're either really on or really off. And like, you're either dieting as hard as you fucking can, or yeah. you're either binging your ass off as much as you can. It's kind of, because you broke it, you're going to binge like hell because obviously you're really restricted during your dieting phase and you've created that mentality. In the same way, like, a lot of people that, kind of go all in right okay i'm gonna mass now i'm gonna go to extreme i'm just gonna eat everything in sight and do a dreamer bulk and you know they end up regretting it whereas kind of that more conservative approach somewhere kind of more in the middle which often seems to be the optimal place for most things in training and nutrition um, yeah. might be might be a better way to go about it yeah absolutely 100 percent. and also what i found with people as well because i've had like mates ask me these questions as well oh i've got a good routine for me i'm like it's not, I said, it's, as in for the gym now, I said, it's not that easy of going, yeah, what exercise do you want? Yeah, but uh, what's your progression model? What set are you starting at? How far from failure are you going to go? They think, oh, you just give me a routine. And that's most people in the gym. It's like, well, how, what are you doing to progress to utilize the extra calories you're needing and the extra weight you're going to have over the next year? What are you doing? You kind of start, whatever, say 80 sets, 90 sets, whatever. You know, a week, and then stay there forever till you know for a year. You're not progressing, you. So you're not going to utilize the calories you're putting in you. I think that's what people fail as well. They're not going right. I'm going to be bigger. I got more food. I need to increase volume, intensity over time to utilize the calories I'm gaining. Well, not gaining. I'm putting in me extra to give me that extra calorie surplus to give me the energy to train more. 
and to build more muscle if you just stick to the same thing all the time it's like it can't just give you routine so you need to progress and it's like they don't get it you need to plan everything you need to be a plan you're eating right i'm gonna eat this many calories but you also need to say i need to plan my training to you know to utilize those calories don't just stay at however many sets a week increase the sets over time and increase the weight over time and because generally speaking if you're getting stronger you're probably going to be bigger in this obviously if you're getting stronger in a, in a particular rep range like if you're getting stronger at one rep maxes and you're not doing a volume you but you know what i mean generally speaking if, if someone in the gym is progressing year on year is getting stronger and stronger and stronger in like eight to 12 rep range they're going to be bigger more than likely mm. and People just go in the gym and just, oh, what do you want to do today? No, we'll do that, we'll do this, do that, do that. Confusing muscle, like, no, you're talking shit. And you're not going to do anything. You're just going to be spinning your wheels all the time because you've got no way of measuring what, you, what your progress. How do you know you've lifted two years ago? You don't know. You can't remember. So how do you know where to go? I think that's what people fail there as well, as in they're always off plan because there is no plan. So, yeah, thing to, to make, I know it's not diet related, but no, it is, it is, it is. no, it absolutely is. In that, you're right in terms of like, if you don't have a plan, you are always off plan almost. In that, then therefore you're not going to achieve anything. You know, you don't yeah. have a plan to get anywhere. So, um, today, obviously, I, a lot of people people use their phone. I use my I use my phone for um, the app that tracks my volume and stuff. So they may be on their phone doing that, like, but. People who got pen and paper writing things down are usually the biggest or the strongest. There's a guy today rowing a hundred, rowing 110 kilos, and he's writing everything down decent form. So I mean, to row 110, as in pedley row 110, is decent, isn't it? And he's writing everything down. Thing well, there's a reason why you're doing that. And yeah, the one the quarter plate stones, you know, he's looked at his log and gone right. I've done X amount last week. I'm gonna put this much more. And the rest in there, just like, um, what are we going to do today? Um, how many legs is it? I'm like, oh, yeah, then. Yeah. You don't know where you are. New beginnings, you will, but eventually you, you you will never, ever get your potential training like that. No. Uh, do, do, so go, going back to kind of like the original concept of the, the on-off mindset or kind of it's on-plan, off-plan type stuff. So, and the the inspiration being around this idea of succumbing to temptation or breaking plan, eating bad foods that you shouldn't be having on a diet. What, what kind of would you do to help someone or tell them um, about kind of the idea, what they can do to, to not feel that way or kind of what the, you know, what is the outcome? I think, <clears throat> I think it depends where they are on their journey, but they got, they got to understand that this is if they died in obviously to lose weight, you need to be in a calorie deficit. So if you can give someone an, an, an outline, right, obviously you won't always give people calorie targets because right, they might be different players. But if you were, right, so right, your ideal goal is to eat 2,500 calories a day of these types of foods, um, meats, veg, fruit, starch, carbohydrates, blah, blah, blah. And then you can say, right, you could put a um, like a framework in place, right? If you're going out with friends and you're going to a restaurant or whatever, whatever it is, like you can give them a list. Can you write Indian, Chinese, blah, blah, like we like we do with clients, right? These are the better options at 
these particular places. So they know they've got something, they've got a plan already in place for when they go to these places and they have an idea of the calories in these foods because obviously calories are king fundamentally overall to lose weight. And let's say they haven't got that. Let's just say it's a spur of the moment thing. And they go, right, <clears throat> they got to understand that, like, yeah, these things happen. But in the long term, one meal isn't going to make much difference. So it's getting them to understand that, right, okay, you've eaten something you believe is not on plan. Yeah, maybe it's maybe there is higher calories. However, you can adjust things in the days coming to offset what you've done. And then you've got to, obviously you've got to explain to people that obviously calories are king. So as long as your calories are matched throughout the day, then of course you can work in things that maybe they're not, not on the plan, but you can work them in and not be and not feel bad about it. Because you've got to be careful to say, no, you can eat what you want. Because, you know, you should be giving them a bit of framework around that, right? You can eat what you want, but obviously most of your diet's going to consist of, you know, fruit, veg, meat, starchy carbs, et cetera, et cetera. But... Just on that, it's not just because just it's just, this is something that comes up quite often um, with, I suppose, when you, it's conversation around nutrition anyway. It's not a case you can eat what you want. It means that no foods are off limit and then yeah. no, no foods are for, um, forbidden or completely restricted. It's not a case of I can eat what I want and lose weight because clearly you can't eat 15 donuts a day and lose weight. Well, exactly. So you, you give them, you, obviously you say that, like no foods are off limits, but obviously here's the plan that you should mostly stick to these are the types of food you should that should make up the bulk of your nutrition. But if you allowed, right, you you can you give them a ten percent um, not a target as such, but give them a bit of ten percent of variance where you know if you are going out, you can use this ten percent to eat the things that you would like to eat. So then they're never really off plan because they know that no food is off limits. So I think people get into that off plan mindset when, they th- when you say to them or not, you can't eat chocolate, whatever, whatever it is, right? And eat chocolate, then they, they go straight away, I'm off plan because you said, I don't eat, I can't have that. So if you say, yes, you can, no food is off limits and you can eat it if you feel you need to, but obviously don't get into the habit of just eating it for the sake of it. So it's all about putting a putting a structure in place where they understand that no food's off limits, but that doesn't mean that they can the diet is made up of a lot of that type of food because they'll end up being back where they started. So <clears throat> it's about giving them an environment where they don't feel like they're on a plan as such. So they can be off. You know what I mean? Yeah, obviously, it's a different how they re- how they respond to things. So some people are just not spontaneous. They they just don't. Oh, I go outside. A lot of people, especially if they've got kids, they probably plan things ahead. So if you've given them tools in advance, right? If you go into this place, here's all the tools you need to navigate this sort of um, environment. Then they know they can never be off plan because they've always got a plan that accounts for the unplanned. 
Yeah, I think it's like it's basically people don't feel that off plan when they know that actually there are um, certain kind of measures or actions they can take that still allows them progress. Because obviously, if you're still making progress, how can you be off plan? Yeah, it kind of it's kind of a bit of a contradiction, and I guess that's kind of making people aware that actually you can still make progress by doing X, Y, Z, or um, or I think sometimes getting people to think longer term, as in like the plan isn't this week, like this this the the, the end of this week the plan doesn't end. It's not like oh my god, you know I've t- I've I've turned the lights off now and they can never come on again. It's like no, the the plan is long term. Like you just think of it more like you've just dimmed it down for a little bit for a couple of days if you know say say you had an episode where i guess you've eaten foods that have taken you over kind of like your um ideal energy intake or the amount of energy that you'd need to do to lose weight that week so what you stood still for a week doesn't matter like you just get back onto the plan you know because or uh, probably i shouldn't even use that term actually but you kind of just get back to behaviors and get back to eating in a you know an energy deficit and you carry on and obviously over the longer term that kind of like little blip is a drop in the ocean like you said earlier in the the episode so like you shouldn't feel guilt about it you shouldn't worry about it you should literally just think to yourselves well you know i made a conscious decision to eat xyz all it's meant is that i've stood still for a day or whatever or however long um and you know i just get back to my habits and routine and then continually go forward again and in the longer term you know I've done 99 steps out of 100 rather than 100 steps but obviously you're not going to notice that one step out of 100 because it basically makes no difference in the long run and obviously that that's the type of thought process and mindset which I would say aligned and lends itself to more successful dieters or successful people um, from yeah. a, like a physique perspective than someone that thinks like oh my god I've ruined it so I'm going to basically keep restarting every week and then end up kind of just treading, treading water the entire time and not making any progress whatsoever yeah, saying you're going to start on Monday again is literally the most, I don't want to say stupid, but it is silly. We've said, it, we've said it enough times. It's akin to blowing a tire on your car and then stabbing, stabbing the other three or, you know, like, oh, I'm going to save money this week. So uh, tell you what, uh, I'll start on Monday and I'll, I'll go out and create a load of debt over the weekend so that I have to start with a shit ton of credit card debt or something. It's like you wouldn't do that. So why do people do it with food? Yeah, I think yeah, the, the brain goes to mud when it comes to nutrition for some reason. Even in uh, vastly intelligent people, it's you think, oh my god, how how like, how have you thought like that when your job is you know a doctor or a solicitor or something? You think, come on, you should have some bit of common sense. But you see it all the time, and I think from my experience, I'm not saying it's the case, you know, it's in a literal thing, but females tend to do it more often than men. I think because, and I, th- I think because part of it is I'm not being offensive here. It's just a fact. Females are more females are more emotionally driven, and um, external circumstances will affect them mentally more, generally speaking, than men. And they and women will react emotionally to that. And some women have attachment to food when they get emotional, and that's when they go, "Oh, I, I this happened in work. I had this, you know, tan chocolate in the night." I'm off plan, I'm also starting Monday again. And you see that cycle a lot. And I've seen that the, I've seen it on the groups we've run. Certain people go, oh, yeah, I'll start again on Monday, I'll start again like, well, you know, you ain't gonna get anywhere. Mm. And, oh. and if they don't listen, if they don't change it, they, they and they still haven't got anywhere. Yeah. I think um 
I, I agree anecdotally. I'd say that's probably what I kind of observe, although I would really like to look into the literature on that actually and see yeah. see what the the kind of the real the, the real landscape looks like because um to be honest, obviously we are kind of just giving our our opinion anecdote, aren't we? We aren't saying it's obviously like fact, but it certainly seems to be the case. I'll tell you what's interesting. Um you obviously what you're then talking about in terms of um I guess people's coping mechanisms and food and stuff. Um, like I don't, I don't always think that's a bad thing either. And I think this sometimes this is what I've done with some clients where I've said like, look, you know, it's okay to use food as a coping mechanism. Like it's maybe not ideal or optimal for your goals, but if that's what you need to do right now to cope, that is absolutely okay. Um, but at some point you do have to tackle, I guess, the actual issue. Like why are you kind of resorting to food as a coping mechanism um, rather than kind of, you know, just trying to look after the sin. Because that's, cause that can often be the problem. Is like trying to fix people's eating habits in terms of, um, I don't know, like if someone is using food as a coping mechanism and then to, oh, well, then let's swap that coping mechanism for something else. That's great. But actually, you're just kind of sticking a Band-Aid over a symptom. You're not actually fixing the problem. And I think obviously sometimes people will need to look at what their issue is and why they're resorting to food. But, yeah, I, but, but, but just on that, sorry, before you go on, that's probably outside of our scope because obviously we are not psychologists or um, clinical dietitians working with people with eating disorders, but... You know, that's all I was going to say. Yeah. Because you just for that. Yeah, but I mean, don't get me wrong. I was guess we do work with people, and you know, I've said it myself. Where I've had in the past, kind of what I might describe as pseudo eating disorders, or maybe just falls under the realm of disordered eating. But obviously, it's always a difficult one in terms of kind of like practitioners and staying in lanes and making sure that you you kind of you know you you are staying in your lane and you're not working with people that you you really shouldn't ethically or morally. But eating disorders and that type of realm just comes in so many guises and kind of, you know, this, it's not a, yes, you have an eating disorder. No, you don't almost like there's a lot of in between there, um, which makes it really difficult as a practitioner to kind of really assess and judge accurately whether, you know, like it's outside of your scope of practice or not. Yeah, I agree with all that. But anywho, right. You know, we've done 53 minutes on this. Is that long already, is it? Yeah, it is. We've uh, we've always gone off a few tangents as usual, but hopefully of interest. Certainly, the kind of the training stuff. I love talking about training. Um, we'll try and do a few more training related podcasts. I imagine that should be some fun for some people. We should maybe we should maybe we should all meet up and train. We've been saying that, and we would love to, but damn fucking coronavirus is uh, and this rule of six. Although, am I understanding right, Johnny, that you'll be going to full lockdown? I don't know if it's full lockdown, but they say they lock it on like, like England, are they? Whatever. Is it everywhere in England locked down now? Well, no, we're not locked down. It's just a, this rule of six where uh, you are uh, not allowed to meet up for more than six people inside or outside of homes. I think two households, I think. Although in Scotland, I believe it's only one household. I must admit, I'm so bored of it all that I pay way less attention now than I used to. I mean, it's I've just been generally fatiguing. Yeah, I think... I think in the county you can't enter or nobody can come into the county and you can't leave the county so unless it's for work something like that even or, or you've got a, a very good excuse yeah something anyway, I'm like I, a, I don't I'm I like, don't I don't even know if that applies to England or not so but I'm looking at like what did I what did I do the other day I think it was on a I think it was on a Broderick Chavez part of this actually obviously. People don't know he is. He's a, he's a doctor of biology. So clearly, 
he has a very good understanding of this sort of stuff. I think they look. He looked at data, and he's. I think it was like only five percent of all the deaths have had no underlying conditions. The rest have had two or more. That's a lot of people. I think. I question. Think. Are we really doing this? Because obviously. T- Diabetics and people with heart disease and cancer have obviously got more chance of life from a lot of from the general flu or, or other things. I'm thinking, I don't know, it's just a bit. I think I don't know, the, the to me now. I'm I'm loath to step out of my lane and give an opinion too much because my opinion is based on absolute jack shit expertise or um, qualifications to say so. But maybe I'll say it anyway. I think my issue with those when I hear those types of arguments like oh it's no it's, it's like it's no worse than the flu or like only x amount of people die or, or whatever I think there is this thing called exponential growth which I think is the the problem here in that left and obviously like what's happened now is only is based on the 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 stuff that we've had to do so the extreme measures that we've taken imagine if we didn't take those measures and how bad it would be and I think like the things we compare them to often in terms of like influenza and other stuff like that they don't have the same influ- exponential growth as like corona does or covid-19 does this is obviously like as they say a novel virus and it it would just spread so fast and so quick left untreated the flu doesn't do that no. so i think i think we're right to do, have done what we've done in having these like draconian measures having the lockdown the issue is is obviously clearly that that does have an effect on other things uh, in terms mm. of other parts of well-being, like it does obviously has an effect on people being able to get treatment for these other diseases, like you've talked about, cancer and heart disease and stuff. Because obviously, people aren't going for their routine checkups and those types of stuff. So obviously, that might have a knock-on effect in the future that we don't know about. We might see more deaths in those cases. Obviously, has effect on people's mental well-being and kind of stress and um, depression and suicide rates and all the other things that people have talked about. Um, but. It's kind of like we had to, I think we did have to do lockdown. We just now need to get to a point where actually how can we now kind of go back to living more like our usual lives, but in a far safer manner. And I think we are starting to do, you know, we, we, we've, we've certainly seen progression over the past few months getting in that way. It's just a case of like, it's probably not progressed back to as much business as usual as people would like. So obviously this is obviously tough work on everyone and obviously everyone wants to get back to their usual lives and you know enjoying themselves and socializing and all that sort of stuff but um we can't do that unless we can do it safely and obviously we're just not at that point yet i mean if it's if it's if this particular case it called over five years then this can't go for five years no but you've got to hope in that five years that we kind of advance as a society in mention to have things in place to deal with it so we kind of, you know, we can live with it rather than, you know, than kind of not living as we kind of are now in terms of having the lockdown because that's not living, is it? I'd be, I'd be, more than I've seen, if even if they'd be able to find it, but um, what did I say? The deaths that have been caused through coronavirus itself. And the deaths caused by everything that's happened because of it. You know what I mean? Like, if they're not giving people treatment for stuff that's going to kill them, then you've basically gone, well, actually, we'll stop that person dying from COVID, but we'll let that person die from heart disease. It's like, well, hang about now. It's a, I don't know, it just doesn't, I don't know, I just find it all a bit odd. 
Yeah, I don't think any of us know the answer. What I, I just think like the, you know, it's just so infectious and grows so quick. I think the kind of comparisons to things like the flu is just unfair and completely unevidence based. Um, that being said, it's hard. It's hard. It's like I, I appreciate no one. Everyone's got to get to the point where I can't do this any longer, and I just need to go back and accept the risk of you know getting it and dying it. The problem is, is like you can't accept the risk of other people, which is what you would be doing if you kind of just you know the people that don't wear fucking masks, um, or the people that don't you know refuse to social distance or keep breaking the rules. It's kind of like the problem with this is like like everyone goes on about oh well I don't want someone nanny state. I don't want this nanny state controlling me and, and basically determine what my health should be like. I should decide that. But you're not you're not deciding for you. You're deciding for other people because you might get sick and spread it onto a load of people. So therefore, your decision is affecting all these other people. And I just don't think that that's right. And I don't think you should have that power. So what's not what's not helping a situation is is the government saying, "Oh, masks don't do anything," and then a month later saying you have to wear a mask. Like, I know. Well, you yeah. just said it doesn't do anything, so I can. Let's go. Why should I listen to you now? Because evidence of that level does not change in a month. No, no. And in fact, if anything, it's the, like, well, I say that actually. Like, I don't think we've really ever had much data because Richie Kerwin and I had a chat about this. I don't. There wasn't. I don't think there's ever really been much data around kind of the the efficaciousness. Is that a word? Efficaciousness. Whether masks are efficacious, basically, whether they actually do anything to help protect people um, or protect yourselves. But he did say that he has been involved or know of someone that has actually come out with some more recent data on stuff. And it actually does show that they do work and they do have quite a high protective effect. So um, I I kind of I know what you're saying, but I do think actually there is probably been a lot of more new stuff to add to the, the kind of the limited evidence base we had that might start people's change decision. But I totally agree. And absolutely. And I, I, this this podcast should not have got political, Johnny. But it has. Um, but I do agree that the government's mixed messaging and clear, absolute fucking lack of any type of strategy or longer term plan has just zero has, has created zero trust by anybody. You know, like the track, the, the lack of track and trace, lack of PPE, like no idea in terms of lockdown, the mixed messaging about what you can and can't do. Like, is it rule of six? Is it rule of five? Can I go in someone's home? Can I not go in someone's home? But I go to work, but I can't go to work. How about some money? Go out and eat, but don't go out to eat because you're socialising too much and the R rate's gone up. And it's like, see, geez, Jesus fucking Christ, we lot make up your mind what we can and can't do. Um, and that's the problem, isn't it? Everyone's just like, I've got no idea what I can and can't do now. I don't know what you're saying is right or wrong, truthful, evidence-based, not evidence-based. Therefore... I'm completely confused and have zero fucking trust in what you're saying. No, exactly. But yeah. so it's like you can go in a pub and not wear a mask. So like, right, right, whatever. But then you've got to go, you go shopping, you've got to wear a mask. I'm like, it don't that does not make fucking sense to me. No. Say something or the other because you were talking absolute shit. You know? Want to get steaming with someone and neck them and go home and take them home and have sex with them, fight each other, blood everywhere. But you can't go to someone's house. I'm like, guy, you lot, this government are fucking pathetic. And it's the, like, well, that to me, like, they've lost all my respect. I'm like, oh, I, trust. I don't want to do anymore. Yeah. I just don't, you just talk shit. They, I just do what I want to do. So, someone, someone put this on Facebook, which is quite a alarmingly accurate um, statement, I think, in that basically you can't, you, you can't do most things unless there's a till at the end of it. It's like basically, if you can pay some money into the economy and give back to the government, you can probably do it. But if you can't, then you can't. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like you know, you can't you can't go out like you say to you know see your friends. But if you want to go to a pub because there's a till at the end of it, then it's all right. Well, exactly. So to me, it's like you know, you just 
it's just pathetic. Like you can, you've got to wear a mask in the gym, right, to walk in the door. But you take it off when you train. Oh, right, okay, then that makes the other difference, right? You then, and then you can go for food, go wear a mask in the door, take it off. Then I'm like, again, ludicrous, ludicrous. It's like, yeah, it's just pathetic. And I've I've lost a hundred percent respect or any interest in what they're going to say. Well, we uh, shouldn't have made this political, but. No, well, it gave me a good chance to have a little rant. But uh, shall we sign off now, mate? Yeah. Let people go. Like an hour three now. God, done an extra 10 minutes of... Well, people got an extra 10 minutes of gold, I suppose. Look at it that way. Gold is gold. If you enjoyed this episode, please could you leave us a uh, review on your uh, platform, whatever you're listening to, whether that be iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Libsyn, uh, what else are we on? Spotify all of those um share your friends share your network that's probably the best thing you can do is share uh share like take a little screenshot add it to your instagram stories or share it on facebook um anything you do to help us grow and obviously reach other people we would be uh really 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 grateful thank you very much um and on that note let's let's sign off another fancy word should we go like um trying to think of another language konnichiwa that's good Good day, mate. You just, that's, that's English. Well, it's, yeah, I know, but it's, it's an Aussie thing, isn't it? <laughs> Thanks for listening to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast. We'll speak to you all next week.